Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Have you guys enjoyed this series so far? Has it been good? I hope it's been helpful. I hope I haven't been, as uh, my grandma Young used to say, just talking to hear my head roar. I hope that <laughs> this has been good stuff and helpful. If you've missed any of these weeks uh, and want to go back, you can always go and check out our archive online. We have all of the sermons posted there, our podcast as well. So make sure you do that if you've missed uh, any of these. This has been a, a very defining series for us here at Cornerstone. It's been something that we wanted to do as we started this year because this is such a formative year for us in so many ways as a church. And so with that in mind, we wanted to make sure as we're going into this year, we are abundantly aware of who we are, that there is no confusion about what we stand for, what hills we, were, we will die on, and what kind of church we need to be. And so that's why we've been focusing on this. We've been looking at who we are as a church, how we make decisions, how we're going to act, what we're going to say, what kind of ministry we're going to do. Because the thing is, if we want to change the world, if we truly want to change the world for Jesus, what we've been talking about, these core values, they need to not just describe who we've been in the past or who we even are currently. They need to be who we're going to be in the future. These need to define who we're going to be 24-7, 365. It's that important. This series, actually, the, the entire time we've been talking about this, this whole idea of like core values and who we are and what we believe and how that defines how we act, it's reminded me of my dad, uh, this entire series, because my dad uh, and my brother and sister uh, know this, all throughout growing up, whenever we would get ready to go out and do anything, once we were old enough to kind of drive and be on our own, whenever we would get ready to leave the house, he would always say the same thing. that we, He'd said it so much, we could finish it for him, right? Because as soon as we would get ready to leave the house, he'd say, hey, hey, remember, you're young. You're young. Always reminding of us of our last name on the way out the door. And so we're like, we know, we're young, we get it. Like we understand the point of what you're trying to say. And he was saying this as a final reminder as we're leaving to just say, hey, don't forget who you are. Don't forget what that means, that you're a young and that means what you value and the kind of decisions that you need to be making out there, the kind of actions you need to be taking, the way that you talk to people, the way that you act, all of these things should be formed by who you are. And so church, I want to tell you, everything that we do as a church, everything we do together as a church have got to be defined and filtered through these core values that we have been looking at. They are our identity. They're our identity. And so if you're tracking along with me, if you've been tracking along and you've been seeing these core values and you're like, yes, that's me, I want you to say it with me. We're going to say it out loud. I want you to put it in the chat say, Jesus is my king. Jesus is my king. That's what we declare as we are following these values out. We are saying, you know what? Jesus is our king. And because of that, all of these things are things that we are going to value and they're hills that we are going to die on. So real quick, let's look at what our core values are so far leading up to today. So number one, long live the king. Number two, unity is our calling card. 
Number three, second mile generosity. Number four, workers, not watchers. Number five, pearls, sheep, and coins. And number six, empty tomb confidence. I wish I could dive into all these again today to kind of give like, you know, little cliff notes of what they all are. I don't have time, all right? I'm a, I'm a preacher. It was funny, we, me and uh, Pastor Brenda were meeting with uh, some people this last week uh, in pretty much every meeting went over the time that we had allotted for it. And it makes sense because you had two preachers sitting down trying to talk, right? Like, of course, of course those meetings were going to go over. Like, is that a joke? Like, you're lucky it went over only by an hour. Like, this could have gone really bad. So with that in mind, I don't have time to really dive into all of these to kind of uh, uh, talk about where we've been. So again, if you've missed any of these, please check it out on our archives so you can uh, uh, catch up with where we're at. But the thing about this and the thing about our core values is this is what makes us unique. This is why we're cornerstone. (laughs) This is why, and don't get me wrong, I am not putting down any other churches. There are fantastic churches out there, not even far. Like there are amazing churches in the Akron area. There are amazing churches all over the place that are doing phenomenal work, advancing the cause of Jesus. I'm not taking anything away from them. But this is what makes us unique. These are what differentiates us from everybody else. And I think, I'm, I'm gonna kind of step on a, limb, on a limb here and say, I think you know it. I think you know it. You watching online, there is something different about Cornerstone, isn't there? There's something different. And it's okay, we can celebrate that, it's okay. There is something different here. We have people who have been to multiple churches. Again, great churches, awesome places, but whenever they come here, they can't even really put their finger on it. They're like, there's just something about Cornerstone. There is a uniqueness here. There is a way that you guys live out what the kingdom of God looks like, that it is intoxicating. (laughs) It draws me in. I can't really put my finger on it. There's just something so unique. And that unique thing, that thing that differentiates us is this that we are actually living these things out. Because whenever you have great values that are actualized, (laughs) like whenever you have values that are fantastic and you actually live them out, you change the world. That's how the world changes. You wanna know how I know? Who's an Amazon Prime member in here online? I wanna see those hands. Just about everybody, right? Amazon, you wanna know what one of their core values is, one of their core values. In fact, yeah, some of you are probably shopping right now. You're online, you're like, wait, what? Yeah, you're prime members. You wanna know, you wanna know what one of their core values is. Customer obsession. Customer obsession. Not even just service, not even we value the customer. No, they are obsessed with the customer. And if you've spent any time on Amazon, you know that to be a fact. Because everything is tailor-made for you, right? They make recommendations for you and they see what you're looking at and they're letting you know, hey, people who looked at this also bought this and this. Do you wanna bundle them all together and buy the same thing too? Like they know your habits. When you sign in that home screen, it's tailor-made for you because they are obsessed with the customer. They know you want things fast. That's why there's the two-day shipping. They know that you, they, they know your habits because they're obsessed with you. And because of that obsession, Amazon has become this gigantic company that pretty much (laughs) runs the world, right? Because it's an actualized value. This is a value they had that wasn't just a a nice saying that's on their wall at their company headquarters. No, this is something they actually have lived out and it has completely and utterly changed our world because of it. 
What about Chick-fil-A? Any Chick-fil-A eaters? Any Chick-fil-A? Of course. And some of you are probably so mad that I mentioned it because it's Sunday, and now you're going to start craving it, and you ain't going to be able to get it. You're like, no, Pastor Jacob, what are you doing? <laughs> they're, they're so good, right? They're so good. And what they're known for is their service. Is it shocking to anybody that one of their top core values is customer service? Of course not. And just because it's a value and they've actually lived it out, they have changed the game when it comes to customer service. People have been joking about it, um, that we just need to let Chick-fil-A handle uh, the countrywide vaccination process because everybody will get through, everybody will get through in, in no time, right? Because they'll just, it'll be my pleasure, my pleasure as you're getting the shots going through because their customer service is so outrageously good. And it's because it's a great core value that they have actually lived out and it's changed the world. It's changed the world. When core values are actually lived out, they can change the world. And we are seeing that happen here in our church. When we live these values out, we are seeing life change happen. We are seeing amazing things happen. And that brings us to our final core value today that we're going to be talking about, which is we'll save you a seat. I got to say this, this might be one of my, this might be one of my favorites. I like all seven, but I, I love this one. We'll save you a seat. We clear the way to the cross no exceptions. Every sincere seeker is invited to belong and become part of our family. We'll save you a seat. You know what this means? This means there's no need for you to clean yourself up first before you come to Cornerstone. There's no need to get things right, to, to, to get your life into this perfect state before you come here, before you can become and belong part of our family. Honestly, this might be the most encouraging thing that you hear for the whole day. Jesus does not want a future you. He wants you. He just wants you right now. He, he didn't die for some future version of you that's perfect and has cleaned up and reads scripture every day and has it memorized. That's not who he died for. He died for where you're at right now with your imperfections, with the things that you still don't get right, with the dysfunctions that you still have, that's who he died for. He loves you. He loves you. And so that's why we save people a seat and that's why we clear the way to the cross. Because if you are a sincere seeker, Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you. This is one thing that I, I really hope though as I've said, these are the things that kind of differentiate us and make Cornerstone Cornerstone. I got to say, I really hope that this core value out of all of them, I really hope that this isn't the biggest thing that differentiates us from other churches. Again, I'm not putting down any other churches. I, <laughs> I'm a pastor. I don't really get to go visit many other churches. You know what I mean? I'm kind of busy on Sundays. <laughs> like I, I don't have an opening in my schedule to just start going around a lot. So I don't know. I can't speak intelligently on that. I'm just saying it is my prayer and it is my hope that if you look down our seven core values, this isn't the one that you go, wow, that's uniquely cornerstone. Because this should be every church. Any church that claims Jesus as their king, this should be at the core of it. This should be at the core that, hey, if you were a sincere seeker, you're looking for God, you've been far from him, you're looking for him, come as you are. Come as you are. Nope, don't need to clean yourself up first. Just get in here and let God start loving on you. The thing is, this is an issue today. Like this, this one right here, this is an issue today, and it's not just an issue today. This was an issue in Jesus' ministry 
It was a big issue whenever he walked the earth, people being upset with who he was socializing with, with who he was having parties with, with who he was around. It was an issue in his day. And even after Jesus' death and resurrection in the days of the early church, it was an issue then. It was an issue then. It started creeping up again. Even though Jesus had made it abundantly clear that he wanted the way to the cross clear, that he wanted the way to him clear, even though Jesus had made that so obvious Just about 15 years after his death, we have another huge issue come up. After his death and resurrection, we have this issue come up in the church that is a huge, huge moment in church history. And it happens in Acts 15. That's where we're going to be at today if you've got a Bible uh, and you want to follow along. If not, we'll have the words up on the screen, so no worry. But uh, let me just give a short little intro into what we're going to be looking at today. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 15. And basically what's happened is we're, we're about 15 to 20 years after Jesus has died and rose again, 15 to 20 years after the resurrection. At this point, the gospel is spreading. It's spreading. It started off as just this, this small little cult, so to speak, in Jerusalem. But the word starts spreading like wildfire all over the area, and it starts branching out to different regions uh, of the Middle East and of Europe. It starts spreading all over the place. And so 15 to 20 years after Jesus' resurrection, the church is starting to thrive. It's starting to thrive in Jerusalem, in the very place where Jesus was killed. It's thriving there, and it's under the leadership of some of Jesus' earliest followers. Uh, It's under the leadership of Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. They are the core leaders of the Jerusalem church. And not only is it thriving there where this all started in Jerusalem, it's actually starting to expand and thrive in other places because of the work of people like the Apostle Paul. And his, his helper, Barnabas, these, these two men, they start going off and they start preaching the gospel of Jesus all over the place. And so 15 to 20 years after Jesus has been here and went back to heaven, man, his message is all over the place. Not just Jews, people who are non-Jews, which scripture calls Gentiles, people who are, are not Jewish, they're coming to faith in Jesus. They're, they're starting to believe. And that brings us to where we have uh, this issue that we read about in Acts chapter 15. I'm gonna uh, start in verse one. We're gonna kind of jump through this passage a little bit. Verse one, this is what it says. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem and to see the apostles and the elders about this question. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So let me kind of recap what's going on here. This is, a, this is a huge deal, okay? This is a huge, huge deal. Believers in Jesus... They're they're starting to come to him. They're starting to believe in him, people who are not Jewish. And there's this issue in the way of of circumcision, which is a a huge deal. Can I get an amen from all the men in the house and the men online? It's It's a big deal, all right? It's a big deal. This issue comes up. And the the reason it's such an issue and it's such a big deal is because the guy that we talked about last week, if you were with us last week, Abraham, when Abraham and God made this covenant, this this 
huge, massive covenant, this, this, this vow between each other. This covenant was the, the one that God says to Abraham, look, if you follow me and you're faithful to me, I will give you offspring. The entire uh, world will be blessed through the nation that I will start through you. And the sign of this covenant was circumcision. This is recorded in Genesis chapter 17. God tells Abraham for him and all of his uh, uh, ancestors to do this, to, to have the male circumcised as a sign of this everlasting covenant between God and Abraham and God and the nation of Israel. And so here we are 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, and we have this dispute coming up saying, well, I mean, it was an everlasting covenant. Well, is this something God commanded? So if they really want to come to Jesus, if they really want to start following him, they need to do this first. They need to be circumcised first to be able to really be brought in to the fold. So this is a defining issue. This is a defining issue. This isn't just some kind of like side thing that they're talking about. This is the issue of are you actually saved or not? Are you actually saved or not? Is Jesus really rescuing you from your sin or not? That's what they're discussing here. And so they're telling this group, these certain people that Scripture mentions are starting to spread this rumor, spread this teaching that, hey, if you truly want to come to faith in Jesus, it's not just believing in him. No, you need to do something else as well. You need to be circumcised in addition to that. So basically what they're suggesting here, and this is huge, this is, this is so huge, what they're suggesting is that law, following law, plus Jesus equals salvation. That's what these people are starting to teach. And, and this teaching is starting to spread that, hey, if you really want to become a believer, if you truly want to have saving faith, it happens through following the law plus faith in Jesus. Essentially, clean yourself up first. You want to come to Jesus? Awesome. Clean yourself up first. Start following the law first. Get your life in order first. Then you can come in. Then you can be a part of what God is doing. Then you can be a part of the family. Now, today we read that. Today we read this and we can think like, wow, man, they were so off base. Like they were just so off base. That's not even remotely what the message of Jesus is, but let me tell you, this is an issue today. You probably see it online. You probably hear it in conversations you have with people. This is not a, an issue that died off in 50 AD. No, this is an issue that is alive and thriving in 2021. People believing that law plus Jesus equals salvation. This is something we are still facing today. There's, uh, if you're on Instagram, I, there's so many of those meme accounts all over the place. And there's a bunch of Christian ones. And some of them are, are pretty funny, but it's crazy the following these things have. Like these, these Christian meme pages, man, they'll have 500,000 followers, super influential. You'll see people who follow them and stuff like that. They're, these are big pages. And a few of them, uh, not too long ago, I, I, I follow them. And so I'm scrolling through. And I'm seeing things come up where they're, they're starting to try to do like teaching as well. They're like, hey, we'll still post funny stuff, but occasionally we'll post like kind of a, a teaching Thursday thing. And one of them that came up, I kid you not, I, I bookmarked it because I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is a very, you know, a, a, a very prominent page and everything. And it, what it was talking about is this idea that I know it's, I know a lot of Christians think that the law doesn't apply anymore, um, but Jesus actually only fulfilled part of the law. Another part of the law actually still stands and it still applies to us today and we're still under it. And I'm going, what? 
what? And you, there's, there's 500 comments under it saying, yes, amen, finally someone's saying it. Yes, the law still applies. Yes, the law still stands. It still applies to Christians. And I'm going, whoa, this is crazy. This is not an issue that died off years ago. This is something we are still facing now. People believing that Jesus plus the law equals salvation. That we need to clean ourselves up first. Get rid of that addiction first. Fix your sex life first. Fix your dysfunction first. Get rid of that habit first. Then you can come in. Then you can come to Jesus. This topic actually, I mean, my goodness, I've I've got about 20 minutes left. I could talk on this for about 20 hours. It's actually going to be what we talk about during our series at Easter. So I want to let you know, mark your calendar right now because we're going to be talking on this idea of the law and Jesus fulfilling it more uh, at that time. I can't go too far into it today. But this is an issue that we still have And we still face today. And so as we continue in this year, we're about to see Peter address this issue, right? So people in the church are saying, hey, this actually sounds right. I think think this is right. We do need to still follow the law and then we can be good with Jesus. We need to still do this. And Peter starts to speak up here. And this is very interesting because earlier in the book of Acts, the book that we're looking at right now, Peter used to believe this too. Peter used to believe this too. He actually wouldn't associate with Gentile believers, He'd be like, yeah, no, that's great that people are coming to Jesus, but you guys stay over there because you're unclean. (laughs) So he used to think this. He used to think that coming to faith in Jesus meant cleaning yourself up, then believing in him. And so we see this change in verse six. This is what says, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. This is the key verse. (laughs) Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. How can we put this burden on other peoples that we ourselves were unable to bear? How can we do that? How, how can we put on other people this thing that we couldn't live up to? How can we hold them to a standard that we ourselves fell short of time and time? Again, if you are a follower of Jesus, if he is your king, my God, remember that statement. How can I put on others a burden that I myself could never live up to? How can I do that if I am following Jesus Peter issues this statement, and I'm sure the room (laughs) fell silent because people probably started to remember where they were when they found Jesus. Like, oh, didn't think of it like that. (laughs) It's cool. uh, uh, One of the uh, ushers here at Cornerstone, Joe Kruger, I was actually just talking to him before service. Today is his 10-year anniversary of being at Cornerstone. To the day. To the day. Isn't that cool? (laughs) To the day, he, he came 10 years ago on uh, Valentine's Day, and I was just talking to him before service, and he was just saying, man, it's, it's incredible to see how my life has changed and how God is still changing my life since that day. And we're just talking, and we're like, man, you had no idea what you were getting into, did you? <laughs> right? 
And for a lot of us, it would do good for us to remember where we were before Jesus, where we were, the things that we struggled with, the dysfunctions that we had, the habits that we had developed. The farther we get away from it, the easier it is to start thinking about things in a more rose-colored goggles kind of way, right? Oh, it wasn't that bad. I wasn't that bad. <laughs> things weren't that bad. I was just, I, I, I wasn't sinful. I was just young, just young and crazy, right? I just didn't know better. It's very easy to look back on our past, kind of like how people do like the high school glory days, right? Like, oh man, I was, I was the best. I, I was so good. You should have seen me. It's the Uncle Rico. I used to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Like I, I was so good. You should have seen what I was able to do. And then someone's got tape or you watch back tape and you're, you're awful. You're like, wow, I remember, <laughs> I remembered that completely wrong. Like I wasn't nearly as good as I thought I was. A lot of us think the glory days were way better than they were. And it seemed like a lot of these believers were misremembering their past, thinking that, hey, the law wasn't that oppressive. The law wasn't that hard. If we just attach the law and Jesus, man, things will be perfect because the law, the law wasn't that bad. But Peter addresses it saying, no, you, you guys don't even know. Just look at our own history. Fellow Jewish people, look at, look at our own history. The nation of Israel, we never could live up to this thing. We failed time and time and time again. Do I, need to remember, do I need to remind you? Do you remember how we constantly fell short? Do you remember how we couldn't leave up to this? So why in the world are we gonna take this yoke and place it on someone else? Why in the world are we gonna take this burden and place it on others when we ourselves could never live up to it? The law will not save us. And we see that James, one of the most influential believers, agrees. In verse 12, this is what it says. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Jumping ahead to verse 19, James says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This is kind of his proclamation. He's saying, hey, look, we know from our past, we know what the law does. We know that Jesus has come to fulfill the law. And so with that in mind, it is my judgment. We should not make it difficult for those who are coming to faith in Jesus. James is essentially saying, hey, we'll save you a seat. <laughs> we are clearing the way. We are clearing the way to the cross. We are making it where if you are a sincere seeker, you can come and you can belong in the body of Christ. Not clean yourself first, not get all right first and then become a part. No, it's Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family, right? Like when you're here, you're family. You, you just come, you come. That, that is what matters. That is what we need to be focusing on. So whenever it comes to this idea of circumcision, whenever it comes to this idea of do we still maintain the law, the answer is no. No, it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for those who are coming to faith in Jesus. The issue is decreed. And I'm sure that the reason James and Peter are speaking up here is because they saw Jesus's ministry firsthand. They saw the way that he routinely, get this, Jesus routinely received people before he renewed them. He received them. He brought them in. He said, I love you. You are valued before he worked on them. And so Peter and James, they saw this first 
hand. They saw it for three years, Jesus just constantly loving on people and welcoming people in, people who were sinners, people who were the tax collectors, the the downtrodden, the, the people that society wanted nothing to do with. They saw Jesus welcoming them in. Not as second-class citizens, not, oh yeah, come in, come in, and you guys just sit over there until you get your stuff together. Then you can really become a part of my disciples. Then you can really become a follower. No, he welcomed them into the fold right then and there, right then and there. And so Peter and James see this for three years. And so whenever this question comes up, they're like, we know the answer. (laughs) We know the answer. And that is clearing the way to the cross, making it easy for people to come to faith in Jesus. They were, they were good Jews. They, they knew the scriptures. They knew that Psalms, the book of Psalms talks about how it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. It's his grace. It's his mercy that leads us to have a repentant heart. Not his conviction about, well, you, you know, you're, you're an awful person. <laughs> you're an awful person. Go clean yourself up and then I would like to have you as a member of my family. No, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, and if that's how God leads with kindness, if we're his people, that should be us. That should be our calling card. Kindness, love, grace, mercy. Those should be our descriptors too. James and Peter knew that to be the case. So what that means is even things that your preconceived notion might make you think, oh, really, should they be able to come to church? Should they really be able to belong and become? Shouldn't they stop that first? Shouldn't that change about their life first? Any of those preconceived notions that you have need to be put to death. They need to be put to death because they, they're, they're wrong. <laughs> they were wrong. They were declared invalid back at the cross and then redeclared invalid here in Acts chapter 15 that no, 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 it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for those who are coming to faith in Jesus. Again, I, we can't get the full weight of this because we are, you know, living in the 21st century. You have to understand how huge this was at the time. Jews, one of the biggest symbolic things that they had to show their relationship to God, to show this covenant between themselves and God as God's chosen people was circumcision. This act of circumcision, this, this fulfillment of this covenant that God set up with Abraham and they're saying, we don't need to do it anymore. That is massive. That's massive. That would be like a church today saying, we don't need to do baptism or uh, communion anymore. They're, they're not important. That, you'd leave a church over that, wouldn't you? Because <laughs> that's huge. That's how monumental this moment was in Acts chapter 15, whenever James and Peter and the rest of the disciples say, no, they don't need to be circumcised. This doesn't need to happen. We should not make it hard. And so that huge of a preconceived notion that had been embedded into the Jewish people for literal millennia, they put that preconceived notion to death. So what does that say about ours? About what someone should look like before they're able to become a a fully-fledged, devoted follower of Jesus? We have some preconceived notions we need to put to death. We have some things that need to be put to death, ideas of what it looks like to be able to become a part of the family of God. I want us to close, close this account. I want you to pay close attention to the response because again, th- this whole account that we're reading from started because some people started teaching in this area 
that you needed to do the law plus Jesus to be a follower. And so these Christians, they're feeling confused. They're feeling like, what do we do here? And because of their confusion, because of their questioning, this council takes place where they're deciding, okay, what do we do? Do we say it's the law plus Jesus or just Jesus? So I want you to pay close attention to the response of the people who are starting to feel confused about, well, what do we do here? Do we have to still follow the law or, or what's going on? Listen to how this concludes. Verse 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to send some of their own men and send them to Antioch, where these confused believers were living, with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter that says this. To the apostles and elders, your brothers, the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and they have disturbed you, troubling their minds, troubling your minds by what they said. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing to you. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to, our, you are to abstain from, blood, uh, from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Verse 30. So the men were sent off and went to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. Verse 31. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. They were glad for its encouraging message. That was the response. When they heard back what the believers had decided, what the apostles had decided, they were encouraged. Church, what I want to tell you today is if the gospel we are preaching is not encouraging news, it is not the gospel. If it's not an encouraging message, if it doesn't lift people up, if it doesn't point them to a brighter, fulfilling future, it is not the gospel. It's a perversion of the gospel. It's not true. It's not accurate. Anything that is Jesus plus is false. There's nothing else. It's literally just Jesus. Jesus declared it with his death and his resurrection. The apostles declared it again in Acts 15, just a rubber stamp what had already been proven. There is nothing else that is needed. It's just Jesus. If the gospel we are preaching is not encouraging, it is not the gospel, it should be good news. I know, and I, I get it. I've, I've been told before and people have been told before, like, man, you need to preach sin more. We need to preach sin more. I get it, sin is a serious issue. I am not downplaying sin. Sin put Jesus on the cross. My sin put Jesus on the cross. I'm not downplaying the severity of it, but I'm choosing, you know what? Sin is a big issue, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger. And so, yeah, you'll, you'll hear about sin here at Cornerstone. You'll hear about sin, but we're gonna lead with Jesus because guess what? I cannot preach enough about sin to change your heart. I can't. I could do nothing but preach sin, and it's not going to do a thing to change you. The only thing that will change you is Jesus. And in fact, the more that you preach on just sin, the more confidence I'm putting in myself than I am in God. Because I can't change you. I can't change me. Only Jesus can do that. Only the Holy Spirit working in my heart. So I am going to, rather than trying to take the responsibility of fixing sin in your life and in my life, I'm instead going to give every single opportunity I can to introduce you to the person who can do that. 
so that's why you're not going to hear every single Sunday, hey, let's talk a 10-point sermon about the sin of the week. <laughs> like, it just, if you're looking for that, this is not the church. This is not the church for you because we're leading with Jesus because he's the one who can fix that. He's the one who can rectify that. And that's why it's good news because you can't do it on your own. I can't do it. But the fact that Jesus can and that the, the way to him has been cleared for us, that's the gospel. That is good news. And I want you to notice something too. Even, even the moral uh, requirements that were listed there, you guys catch those, right? Whenever they wrote the letter, they said, um, uh, uh, we, we're not burdening you with any other requirements other than these. And these are the requirements. Pay attention because this is very important. These are the requirements that they said. You're uh, to abstain from food sacrificed to animals, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. If you read any kind of biblical commentary, you read any theologians talking about why were these the things that were listed? Like, really? from blood, like avoid blood and you'll be great, like you'll do awesome. Why were these things listed? The reason these things were listed is because, again, this letter was being written to Gentile believers who are living in Jewish worlds, they're living in Jewish communities, and they're saying, hey, we're being told by others we need to be circumcised too. Is that, is that like real? Do we really need to do that? And so whenever they're writing them saying, hey, no, but this is what we're going to tell you to do. Avoid these kind of foods. Avoid sexual immorality. Avoid these things. What they're doing is they're saying, hey, these requirements that we're letting you know of, these are to not offend the Jewish people that you're in contact with. We don't want you flaunting this idea that you don't have to do anything and offending them at every single turn. Because these were rituals that the Jewish people still followed. It would hurt the witness of the Gentiles if they're just flaunting it, eating all this kind of food, doing all these things. Even uh, the sexual immorality, uh, uh, one biblical commentary that I was reading was talking about how the sexual immorality that they're talking about uh, is, is what Scripture says uh, to avoid sexual immorality. And the reason it's describing that and the reason that came up is because the Jews and the Gentiles uh, uh, the Gentiles in that particular area, it would be okay to marry within family. Like that was kind of an okay thing. And again, this would be an offense. This would be something that's like, hey, you cannot do this. You just can't do this. It's gonna hurt your witness. You cannot do this. And so all of these things are, are an effort to help the witness, to help clear the path to the cross, to help clear the path to Jesus. And if you notice, even these requirements, what did the disciples say at the end of it? You will do well to avoid these things. Other versions say, if you avoid these things, you will do well. Not if you avoid these things, you will be saved. <laughs> if you avoid these things, if you do these requirements, then the saving grace of Jesus will be upon you. No, it's just Jesus. The disciples confirm it literally at every single turn. Why we still struggle with it today is for no other reason than Satan himself. That's it. The enemy's still trying to deceive us because it has been made clear so many times. Clear the way to the cross. It's just Jesus. It's just him. We've got to remember that. We've got to lead with that. We will save a seat for sincere seekers. In closing, this is what I want to say to you guys in just the last little bit that we have together. This core value is messy. It's messy. This core value more than any other one that we have here at Cornerstone is the one that people will, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. 
I don't know about that. Well, I mean, at some point, right? I mean, at some point, people got to be different. At some point, people got to change. I don't know about this one, the saving a seed. I mean, it sounds like it's just all grace and no truth. Pastor, it sounds like we're going to let grace kind of get out of hand here. I can't remember what pastor said it, but I love it. Let grace get out of hand. Grace got out of hand on Good Friday. That's when grace got out of hand. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep, we're leading with grace. You're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. We are leading with grace. If you notice, Jesus' own disciples throughout Jesus' ministry, whenever Jesus, because people say, well, you know, pastor, Jesus drove out the money changers. He, he made a whip. Jesus did all, yeah, Jesus did. He didn't tell his disciples, yeah, come join me. No, he was judge, jury, executioner in that place. He knew his disciples didn't have the righteousness to be able to do anything like that. So yeah, we will lead with grace. We will lead with grace. Grace has already gotten out of hand. <laughs> we are living in the midst of it right now. It's a messy core value. It will look messy, but here is the thing. You're messy too. So am I. We're messy people. However good you think you are right now, it's messy. <laughs> it's messy still. It's messy. And so yes, we will clear out the requirements and we will clear the way for people to come to Jesus and find him and find saving faith in him. That is who we are. So our core values, this is us. Long live the king. Unity is our calling card. Second mile generosity, workers, not watchers, pearl, sheep, and coins, empty tomb confidence, and we will save you a seat. We'll save you a seat. This is cornerstone. This is cornerstone, and this is how we change the world. I'm telling you guys, if, if, if we do this, if we continue to hold tight to these core values, we will see monumental change happen in our midst. And if I can say something, I, I don't want to offend you. If you're offended, sorry, <laughs> sorry in advance. If those core values don't align with you, if there's any of those core values where you feel like, yeah, yeah, I just, I don't know, I don't really know about that, and you're feeling kind of conflicted and torn and anything like that, I wanna let you know there are no hard feelings. There's no hard feelings between us and you, but we need your seat. There are some amazing churches out there that may line up exactly with where you're at. And if that's the case, if you're not really on mission, we need your seat. <laughs> because we're saving it for someone else. We're saving it for sincere seekers who are completely and utterly unified behind the mission of helping people find the father of family and a fulfilling future. That's what we're up to. No apologies about it. That is where we're at, that is what we're up to because God is on the move. I don't know if you can feel it, I can feel it. I can feel it in the church. I can see what he's doing. I can see his hand moving in so many areas. I can see things that other people would say, wow, what a coincidence. And I'm going, that ain't coincidence. <laughs> That's not a coincidence. That's God. He is on the move. And what we are experiencing right now, this is a move. This is a move. We are in the midst of a move of God. And if we rally behind the mission and the vision that God has given us, we rally behind the values that he has put on our heart, that he has exemplified through the life of Jesus, I'm telling you, we will continue to see a move happen. Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be a part of that? If you want to be a part of that, wherever you're at, stand up with me right now. Let's pray together, all right? Father God, 
we know you're moving. We can sense it, we can see it, we can perceive it. You are on the move right here and right now. And God, I am so pumped to be a part of it. The small part that you have allowed me to play, I am so thankful that someone else has saved a seat for me. That someone cleared the way to the cross for me, that they didn't put a burden or restrictions on my life before I could come and start to know you and start to have you change my life and change my heart. God, help us to be believers who do the exact same thing. People who clear the way, who do anything short of sin to allow people to come to you and to find new life and to find a new fulfilling future in you. God, we know you are moving. We wanna be a part of that move. Help us today. Change us, transform us, renew us, God. You are moving and we wanna be a part of it. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.